0: CCS podcast this is a recording of Professor Gao Yunuan speaking at the University of Southern California Centennial Celebration Event Love, Lust, Caution Centennial Celebration of the Cross-Cultural Legacies of Eileen Chang talk today is titled Approaching Eileen Zhang Through Translation. As a former student at USC, I have benefited greatly from the USC Library Special Collection titled Eileen Zhang Papers 1919-1994, to and I have been using it for my dissertation project and also my current book project. When I received the invitation from town to talk about how the Special Collection has helped my research, I went back actually to my Evernote account and found this handwritten note and this is a 2016 recording of the contents of the special collection during my first visit to the special collection and of course back then the materials inside the six library boxes were not completely digitized nor released to the public so you have to request them ahead of time and also read them inside the special collection room with gloves on and I still remember when glancing through the boxes, box number five has a very intriguing essay written in Chinese by Eileen Zhang. This essay is titled 1988-2? And it opens with a description of Los Angeles County. So it writes, as I translate here, old Chinese immigrants call Los Angeles Luoshen or Sang" in Cantonese, and Sang" reads like Luoshan in ji an alternative transliteration of the county's name, omitting the syllables after los people without prior knowledge would assume this term is the name of a state for example louisiana abbreviated as lo province or LO state and the city is indeed huge though it is as big as a state and known as the mecca of cars i.e a city with the latest models greatest numbers and widest coverage of cars owned by almost everyone thus the public transportation is terrible and the suburban areas are even worse than the downtown area the streets in the satellite cities are dotted with forlorn bus stops where not a single passenger will show up in about half an hour and it is just like an empty city except that cars come and go without stop yet none of them is a bus So the essay was written around 1988 and a copy of it was published posthumously in the Huangguan or Crown magazine in October 1996. Almost 30 years have passed and the public transportation in Los Angeles didn't change a thing. This was what first came into my mind while I was reading this essay. And after a general description of Los Angeles in her essay, this unfinished essay then branches off to ponder the ethnic background of the person who scribbled the names We and D with a chalk on the back of a bench at a bus stop. Her speculation reveals her thorough understanding of identity politics in Asian communities in North America, and this awareness is also reflected in her bilingual writing and translation works, where she adapted her own writing for different target readers in different languages. My point is the special collection contains a significant amount of manuscripts composed during Chang's years in the United States, which is compared with her earlier work, such as the Hong Kong legend, are underrepresented and understudied by scholars of modern Chinese literature, as well as Asian American literature. Her English language fiction, The Right Sprout Sun, for instance, though praised by C.T. Sha, Went unrecognized in the English-speaking world for a long time, and uh, further down the line are her translation, annotation, and exegesis, such as Nightmare of the Red Chamber, Honglong Meng Yan, A Study of a Dream in the Red Chamber, and her translation of Han Bangqing's The Xingzang Girls of Shanghai, Hai Shanghua Scholars have pointed out that these works, time-consuming and intellectually demanding as they may be, were commonly accepted as derivative and secondary, since the assumption is, the modern concept of literature refers only to original imaginative writing. By this logic, Zhang's translation and annotation, bilingual writing, or as some scholars have called it, trans writing, featured prominently in the second half of her literary career, is a sign of her declining creativity as a diasporic writer estranged by a foreign language and a foreign culture. Henceforth, her literary career after she left Milan China in 1952 went downhill according to many. To reassess Zhang's literary achievements, David Wong suggests English provides a way for Aling Zhang to flee modern Chinese literature dominated by literary realism. He discerns that, quote, a foreign language was no more alien a medium than Chinese to transmit or translate her already alienated existence in the Chinese environment. Quote. And in her study of Eileen Zhang and the Cold War, uh, Xiaojue Wang further suggests that Zhang's translingual practice not only question the restraints of modern Chinese literary and political discourse, but also bespeak the manipulative ideological and cultural control of the Cold War United States. Recent scholarship on Zhang's translingual practices further elaborated on the significance of Zhang's translation works, such as her Chinese translation of The Odin and the Sea by Hemingway in 1952, her English translation of Chen Jining's Four in the Reeds, The Cunjuan at 1959, and her self-translation and rewriting of stories from her early career, such as The Golden Kang* and The Rouge of the North, Using betrayal as a lens, Shuang argues that Zhang's bilingual practice shows the consciousness of the tension as well as mutual dependency of the worlds of Chinese and English. Employing self-performance through self-translation and impersonation, Zhang constantly negotiates between opposing political interests and different cultural worlds. So. To respond to the question, how the special collection helped my research, I'm going to focus on two pieces of works from the collection in this talk. And one is a speech John delivered in English on several occasions at the State University of New York and the Radcliffe Institute between 1966 and 1969. Another is the full manuscript of Zhang's English translation of the Sinsang Girls of uh, Shanghai, Haisanghua accompanied by Zhang's correspondence with Stephen Sun, C.T. Xia, and Zhuang Xingzhen, many of which have already been compiled and published in the past few years. And these works by Zhang demonstrate her keen awareness of the role of translation in reshaping our view of literary history. The manuscript of the speech does not have a, a clear title on the manuscript itself. In the 130th issue of PMLA, Christopher Lee edited and introduced this piece as, quote, Chinese translation, a vehicle of culture influence, end quote, the title of which was procured from the records at the Schlesinger Library at Harvard University. The speech begins with uh, Mao Qingzhen's attack on a dream in the Red Chamber, which betrayed his ignorance of the significance of translation as a vehicle of culture mediation. Zhang then traces the history of Chinese translation since the end of the Opium War in the 19th century, delineating the efforts by Yan Fu and Lin Shu to introduce Western ideology as well as Western fiction into China, following which translation has been closely associated with the idea of nation-building during the May Fourth Movement and subsequently, Zhang further elaborates the history of translation during the Japanese occupation, the Communist Revolution, and the Cultural Revolution, when social historical factors influenced the authors and texts targeted for inclusion and exclusion. The role of the translator is highlighted by Zhang during the process of translation and canonization of foreign literature in China. What is noteworthy here is... Zhang points out the Orientalist tendency of West in cross-cultural communication, a tendency that she attempts to expose and expel in her own English writing in China. Zhang wrote to C.T. Xia after the Rouge of the North have been rejected by several publishers, quote, I have always had a feeling those who are particularly in favor of the Orient are in love with exactly what I want to expose as illusions." End quote. The following section towards the end of the speech she delivered has been pressed out in Zhang's manuscript, um, which reads, The May force has set the tone for a rather sterilized view of the West as mentor, and now Hong Kong and Taiwan have perforce become part of the picture of worldwide Americanization, only more so because of their precarious existence. Without the disinterested experience Laboratory um, enthusiasm of the May 4th, imagination needs room, it needs distance, and an absence of pressure. The crossing out of this passage indicates that she is aware of First of all, the power dynamic between the East and West in terms of intercultural translation. And second, the precarity of Hong Kong and Taiwan in upholding intellectual impartiality within her contemporary political situation. And third, her self-censorship in realizing that delivering what she observes can be detrimental to her position as a fellowship recipient at a U.S. institute. This speech was delivered between 1966 and uh, 1969. The period overlaps with her fellowship years at Radcliffe Institute of Independent Study, which launched her English translation project of the Singsong Girls of Shanghai. This project turned out to be a massive undertaking that remained incomplete till the end of her life. So now we turn to the second piece of the work. The second piece discussed here is the full manuscript of Eileen Zhang's English translation of Han Bunting's The Song Girls of Shanghai. The significance of this book and Zhang's indebtedness to it are all well elaborated in many scholarly works already. In her book, Women and Chinese Modernity, The Politics of Reading Between um, West and East, Ray Chow proposes the reading of Eileen Zhang's fictional writings as, quote, an alternative approach to modernity and history through a release of sensual detail, details whose emotional background Drop is often that of entrapment, destruction, and desolation. End quote. The feminine details in Sing Song Girls of Shanghai sets it apart from its contemporary de- uh, depravity novels and castigatory novels through its downplaying of courtesans as sexual objects while emphasizing on their agency within larger social constraints and through showcasing the world of objects as commodities um, associated with their identity as courtesans further strengthening their identity as high-class courtesans in the colonial space of Shanghai. This model of writing heroes the Mandarin duck and butterfly novels in the following few decades and nurtures writers like Eileen Zhang and her disciples. The full manuscript of the English translation of it in the special collection was dated circa 1975 and it was later edited by Eva Hahn and published by Columbia University Press in 2005. Regarding Zhang's contribution as a translator in this project, I'd like to discuss it with the Mandarin translation together. Shan Gexing concludes that Zhang's role as a translator can be divided into two types, one that of an intralingual translator from the original Wu dialect into Mandarin, and that of an interlingual translator from Chinese into English. In terms of intralingual translation, Zhang's Mandarin translation and annotation can be viewed in the tradition of re-excavating dialect writing since the May 4th period. And the reprinting and annotation of the Qing Dynasty dialect fiction, such as uh, He Dian, which classic um, in the early Republican period is also an example in this sense. Following Hu Shi's efforts to re-excavate Haisanghua, Zhuan*, Zhang provides her analysis of the book's lukewarm reception in the book market in the postscripts of the Mandarin translation that goes beyond pure linguistic limitations but points directly to the stylistic feature of Han's writing. In terms of interlingual uh, translation, Though the manuscript is unfinished here, the volume of existing text, which is 848 pages in total, um, as well as John's revisions, provided us with evidences to examine. From John's correspondence with C.T. Xia, Stephen Sun, and Richard McCarthy, we see this project has been a frequently visited topic, especially regarding how it has constantly been delayed in the process of translation. The letter sent to McCarthy on December 16, 1983 by Zhang further explains how the English translation project coincided with her relocation, frustration with fleas, and deterioration of health condition, and thus remained unfinished until the end of her life. Existing scholarship on Zhang and Hong's translation of the Singsong Girls of Shanghai is basically based on the published version by Columbia University Press due to the unavailability of this manuscript. And scholars have already pointed out the structural changes Zhang made when translating the work for readers of different linguistic and cultural backgrounds. And thanks to the special collection, I am currently working on comparing and contrasting these different versions of translation to see Zhang's adaptation and translation strategies of this masterpiece for the Anglophone. Readers. A close look at the manuscript shows us how meticulous Zhang is with the word choice. For instance, the translation of Hong Shanxing's name, a, pro- tra- a male protagonist from the book, went from rectitude hon to benevolence hon to better capture the personality of the protagonist. To conclude, I appreciate the USC Library's effort to make the Aileen Zhang papers available to the public. by the time i graduated from usc in 2018 the manuscripts were made available online while uh, quite a few articles went unrecognized in the database but before today's talk i went back to check the special collection database again and found that all of them have been carefully identified and dated already and you can find sufficient information about each item in the collection So with the promotion of such rare sources, I hope to see more research on Eileen Zhang's contribution to the Sinophone as well as Anglophone literary arena, particularly in the second half of her life. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Center for China Studies at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. We offer degrees from bachelor's to PhD with a diverse faculty dedicated to studying and understanding China from a multidisciplinary perspective. Special thanks to Yang E.T.L. for the music. Please check out our website at ccs.uhk.edu.hk or find us on social media.